Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 19 of Reads Like a Four, the podcast that deals with reviews, critics, and criticism. I'm Adam Brooks, your host. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Nonfiction. Uh, you can also catch up with the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Reads Like a Four. Don't forget, every Friday, once a new episode's gone up, we also post further reading on our Twitter account. So, uh, links to articles and information about topics that came up in each week's episode. This week's guest is Sam Clement. And Sam is involved in a slightly different way with uh, reviews and criticism to previous guests, even previous film guests. Uh, so here he is talking a little bit more about that. Uh, I'm the head of marketing for Picture House Cinemas. I've worked there for about 10 years in a, in a variety of roles, from uh, being an usher, uh, working front of house, to being a projectionist, and then moving into marketing. Film reviews, I think with our customers, are kind of uh, the bread and butter of my my, my week in week out job as we have to help uh, promote these new releases because I, I do feel like we have quite a critically led audience so uh, I, I spend a lot of time trawling through the reviews to see which ones might be might be worth sharing um, to uh, to give the films maybe a better chance than they might normally have. So this was an interesting deep and diverse conversation we talked a lot about uh, the use of star ratings and poster quotes when it comes to advertising film uh, we talked about how important different outlets are, different reviews are when it comes to underground indie or obscure releases, we touched a little bit on live events in cinema, opera, concerts theatre and so on uh, and we also talk about controversies particularly PR controversies of all kinds um, so let's get straight on with it episode 19 of Reads Like a Four with my guest Sam Clements straight into the bulk of it if that's all right so um cool so um talking to a couple of previous guests some of them film critics they suggested that things like star ratings and kind of short quotes that film posters exist only for the benefit of marketing some of them said they, they would rather go without star ratings if they could get away with it given that it's this sort of marketing that, that gets people into your cinemas what's your take on the use of star ratings do you think that, that films would suffer if if people weren't able to give a rating out of five or if there weren't kind of quotes that fitted on posters I think it definitely depends on the film, uh, first and foremost, because some films you probably don't 
care what the critics think in a way like it might be interesting but you might have already made up your mind you're going to watch the new star wars film a year before it's come out so you don't you're probably not waiting to see what you know one of your favorite film critic is thinking you you'll, you'll read it anyway but you're going to go see the film anyway i think maybe what um reviews really really help with i think are the more independent films films that do the um the festival circuit and they get that momentum and, and you see it year in, year out, you know, the film that premieres at Cannes in May one year probably doesn't actually open in cinemas until after the Oscar ceremony in February the following year. And it has that mm-hmm. eight month long sort of like snowball effect where it gets bounced around festivals and uh, some of them might get bounced around festivals and be trashed by critics, but some of them will get bounced around and they'll be lauded and they'll be elevated to this, this um, you know, statue, which is, it's going to win an award. And we've, we've seen it recently with three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri and The Shape of Water. But, you know, if you go back the year before, there's La La Land and, and a couple of years before that, it's The Artist. And, and I feel like that's, that's the, the track that a lot of indie films want to go down. And I feel like for customers, for our audiences who I do think read a lot of, you know, film publications and listen to film podcasts, they they like to follow the journey as well. So when it does finally open in their local cinema, they've got a couple of months worth of opinions and uh, think pieces and interviews and stuff to, to go in fully armed. Uh, and, and I think it might add to the experience. It might detract as well. And, and it's definitely not the case for everybody. But I think that's, that's the core audience um, sort of response to those films. Yeah. Do you think it's ever the case then that, that there are films that actually stay out, that are finished, long finished, but stay out of cinemas because they don't feel they've gathered enough of a snowball effect of, of kind of critical love? Do you think that, that sometimes there are films that, that hold themselves back from a, a theatrical release until they have that going on? I think some, I, I, I do, I have to say, I guess, I, I don't think it's completely down to, to critics. I think the, the reviews are part of probably a, a broader... Um, yeah, you know, like campaign, I guess, is the marketing term. But uh, but just in terms of release as well, even before you get a distributor, I think critics really help even on that business to business level of finding someone to sell your film, finding someone to release your film. Um, but I, I, I think when when it comes to actually releasing the film, it's, it's also it's everything, isn't it? It's, does it have a good trailer? Does it have a good poster? Is it being released on a, a day where there isn't another film that people want to see out? And and it, I think it's part of that, that weird mathematical sum, which nobody really knows the answer to, because if they did, everybody would just do the same thing every time. But it, they're definitely a, a, a common mm-hmm. part of it. I think in terms of waiting to get the critic reviews, it's, it's what I've personally experienced is less that, and it's more actually waiting for the awards. Um, and, and I think really with those big awards, it's only, it's only the people who win the major awards who, who probably benefit, uh, as much as I'd love to believe people go and see a film because it won best sound mixing. That's probably not the case, mm-hmm. but I, I do think people, um, people always want to go and see the best picture winner and the best actor and the best actress and best director and, and, and that in, in our cinemas anyway. Um, but I, so I, I think it sort of does in a way, um, it is, it is waiting for more coverage because if you win awards, you get more press coverage. And that's probably actually what mm-hmm. makes people go and see the film. So it, it, I think it's sort of, it's, it's working in tandem with the awards for, for the most part. I, I do think maybe there's those smaller films which don't quite get into the awards race for whatever reason. And, and then the critics are the only thing that the distributors got 
sort of up their sleeves. Like, ah, oh, shame, it didn't didn't quite get nominated for an Oscar. Well, we'll release it a couple of months after the Oscars, and we still got all of these great reviews. And that's where you really look to the critics to to help your release. And you do see those sort of like um, mm-hmm. the counter print article, which might be about. Um, you know, Oscar fatigue, sick of hearing about The Shape of Water. Well, don't worry, because in April there's this obscure yeah. indie film you've never heard of, and it's uh, and, and and so I, they just need one one. Sorry, yeah, but is is it almost the case they just need one champion that's kind of like you know this should have been nominated, and so I'm gonna you know the, uh, critics occasionally get quite incensed that that films they thought were great were overlooked, and so they're more likely to give them that coverage once awards so uh, seasons out of the way. I think that's definitely the dream, and 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 I think it does help. Uh, you know, if, if you've got a, a magazine behind your movie who maybe because the editor is actually quite a big fan, they, you know, and they're maybe giving you not just a review, but they do an onset feature and they do a couple of months leading up to it. Um, you know, I, I do think that stuff can help. It definitely makes you feel better as a film distributor and for the British films that we've worked on releasing, I think the filmmakers really love that if a, if a British publication is following the journey. Um, I'd say I don't have a experience of it in, in other territories, but the, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, and sometimes, sometimes I think sadly there might just be other reasons. It could be five stars across the board, but the distributor has decided that actually it's only going to go into 10 cinemas and that might exclude a lot of the audience. And maybe by the time it gets to your local cinema, the, you know, the, the press has sort of died down on it. So it, it, it depends again on how, how you're working with it. If you're, if it's, if it's a joined up campaign and you know, your, your people are able to see you after that great championing of it, of reviews, it will help, but uh, but I think because you know the film release calendar is is uh, is very busy. I think if you're a couple of weeks behind, critics might have moved on to another film just because you know it's their jobs <laughs> to do that. Mm-hmm. Of course, um, talking about about critics and and film publications in particular, do uh, does do some publications hold significant weight with picture house customers specifically? How selective are you, or how selective can you be when you're choosing what critical acclaim to pass on? Do you do you find that you know if something gets a good review in X magazine and Y newspaper, those are the the publications that mean most to the average picture house customer? I guess I think so. I, I guess I can answer this in two ways. Like one. We do occasionally survey the members um, and we do have those. You've probably done them yourself. You know, what, what magazines do you like to read? Um, and Picture House is a cinema, like a lot of cinemas do. They run a, We run a membership scheme uh, where you get benefits for joining up. So I think occasionally doing those, you know, like sort of state of the nation surveys, we have some information, but that's not every customer that comes through the doors. That's, you know, so so you're sort of going in blind, I think. I think we we often look at reviews um, that people in the team like, and I think they feel like maybe their tastes are quite aligned with their customer tastes. We have a sort of a dedicated programming team who follow these films around and they go and see them early and they decide, you know, where in Picture House they might play best. Um, and and I think it, they they're quite a good steer for that. As a sort of a marketeer, I do see quite a few names coming up uh, again and again and again, and it might just be that actually. They always cover the types of films we play because at Picture House, we we do play a lot of mainstream films. We play a lot of main release films, but we're quite a small circuit, so we can't play everything. And, and we do have an element of a curated program. So The Guardian is very, I mean, I don't think you'd be surprised to hear that, um, is, is one that we might, might often look to or might often come up. And, and I think their film coverage is really good and they do actually cover 
the majority of films that are on release and, and I think one of the issues we see sometimes is because of um the culture pages being you know uh, reduced in a lot of magazines they're not covering our obscure uh, Argentinian film that we're, we're playing in a, in a handful of cinemas um so we can't can't go to them uh, for that uh, so you sometimes you do have to search um to find uh, especially for the more obscure films to find that coverage um I think other things are Definitely, I think it's just you know for me it feels like the mainstream of sort of film criticism like the big magazines, the big radio shows, uh, Radio Five Live with Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo and and Empire and Total Film. I think they all they all carry some weight, but I think sometimes we have to be uh, creative and and search for those festival favourites in maybe some smaller publications. But then you wonder, you know, does that mm-hmm. does that uh, as a, as a marketing thing, does that star rating next to that publication mean? you know much to a to a wide audience and i feel like if they have a great review mm. which we'd like people to read then then that's where the value comes in um because i don't it's, it's really hard and kind of unfair to distill a film down to a star rating so uh we usually link off to the article that the re- the, the sort of poster quote might be from um so people can see right, okay. the whole what the whole sort of journey was <laughs> Hmm. Well, that's it's an interesting point because um, one of our one, a previous guest on the podcast, a film critic, said that they aim to write their reviews in a way that makes pulling a short quote from it for a poster more difficult. Um, so I wondered if you've ever found that the opposite is true. Are there some? Do you think? Do you think there are some journalists who are, who are keen to see their names on posters, and so they kind of write reviews that are poster ready um, rather than kind of writing them in, in any other way? It's interesting that. Um... I guess someone would say that because it's a, it feels like an interesting way to write your review, <laughs> sort of like um, another thing to think about as well as all of the, the stuff going on in the film. The, I guess just on that, that front, usually, I mean, always, whenever a film quote is used in a, on a poster, the, uh, the, the distributor has to go to the publication and the editor to get sign off on, on using it. So um, I don't, there isn't ever any underhand uh, sort of tactics to uh, to steal someone's work if they don't want to be on the poster. Like we've we've had films that we've released as a distributor where, um, you know, they 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 didn't want the quote that we thought would be really good on the poster and they supplied something else for us because um, people do take pride, especially if they're going to be their name's going to be on a poster or a trailer. You know, they want to sum up their feelings, I guess, in those two or three words as succinctly as, you know, they feel comfortable with and, and they feel proud to be part of. So it's usually a collaboration uh, in that respect. Um, but I so, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess we use we always use approved poster quotes um, and sometimes they're supplied by the distributor. Sometimes they're actually just the ones on the poster that are or in the trailer that have been you know, used for maybe multiple territories. If you have a big American film critic, sometimes those quotes travel around with the film um, because that might be the way that actually opens doors for the territories. Like people often look to places like Hollywood Reporter and Variety and you might see those same poster quotes go just globally, with a, especially with a smaller film. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I, don't, I definitely didn't answer the question, should, but uh, we went on an interesting tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I think you did to some extent. I mean, for, firstly, it's, it's interesting because f- for me to know that that poster quotes are effectively signed off. Um, I guess, I guess the thing that I've got a vague memory of an anecdote back in my childhood that may or may not be based in fact. So please don't write in anyone that that you could, in the absence of anything else, anyone else, you could always rely on Paul Ross at the News of the World for a five star review. And there was a sort of running joke amongst my friends at college, I think, that that we would sort of go and see a terrible film, and then when somebody says or what did you think of it you'd say Paul Ross would give it five stars and that would be how you know that it was it was terrible 
Um, so I don't know how much truth there is in that, but I just wondered if there were kind of, you know, go-to critics who are like, yeah, you know, it, it, I can give you a quote for your poster. But I, see, um, I like I to think that most critics are, are, have, have more integrity when it comes to writing about film than that. Than that. I think perhaps imaginary anecdote I have. Well, I, I definitely remember uh, Paul Ross and I do remember for a while he was everywhere. And um, there was a weird, it was a few years later, but um, I think when people could start listing their own products on Amazon, um, there was like a Paul Ross pillow you could buy, <laughs> which I think someone just printed. At I home. remember this. Yeah. <laughs> so um, finally, think, the reviews take their revenge on Paul Ross. I, I don't know what the rating of that pillow was, um, but I, yeah, and that was like a bit of a sensation, I guess, because he was that character from people's childhood where you'd always see him on on various things. I think the interesting thing with um, because I love I, I love following um poster quotes and especially the more obscure ones on maybe films that have gone straight to DVD, um, and so I love how marketing mm-hmm. might decide to use someone's quote uh i saw a film recently and i genuinely can't remember what it was but it it looked beautiful which was a straight to dvd movie which had um three quotes all from the same publication on the dvd two on the front two on and one on the back and i think the publication had given it four out of five but they used the, the same four star review twice on the cover with two quotes both from the same publication. Right. And the okay. publication was so small on the There's DVD, definitely a... you couldn't actually see that until you picked it up and looked at it. Oh wow! There's there's definitely a hierarchy, isn't there? There's kind of there's the great quote from the, from the publication you know that's presented without ellipses. Yes. There's the same quote with some ellipses, so you can guess that they've taken something not so complimentary out. Then you go down to sort of you know kind of kind of mid range or online places then before you know it you're down to people's tweets and then after that it's literally i've seen a few film posters where the quote is just not attributed to anyone it's probably written by the director for all i know what um, a lot of dvds have done at the moment i've noticed is actually just put stars on the um, artwork so it's not anything to do with anything and in fact the new purge film um, the first purge which is one of those films i don't think they press screened because mm-hmm. it didn't have any quotes on the poster um but they did have two stars just right. as part of the artwork because i guess it's sort of vague american um symbolism um the, the being about what the film is about but it, it's just amazing at a glance it looks mm-hmm. like the film has got two four star reviews <laughs> but it's not anything to do with anything yeah, it's just next it's to a skull and crossbones <laughs> As long as you, so that's the message really is make more films that, that that revolve around American patriotism and then you can add plenty of stars onto your poster without having to get any reviews. You can go for your life. There was um there was a period uh, and I think it's reasonably famous because it didn't get very good reviews. But Guy Ritchie's Revolver, I think the poster for that had a five star review from the Sun Online or or a magazine or a, a newspaper online, and it was the first time I think where it sort of blew up in. I don't know if social media was a thing then, but it blew up on on sort of podcasts I was listening to. I remember Adam and Joe on their podcast uh, for Radio 6 covered it. And and they were like really examining the sources of this. These really amazing, it was like Guy Ritchie's a, a visionary director, five stars. And it was like the forum on the Sun newspaper or the sunonline.com. It was just, a, it was such a obscure oh. sort of, it wasn't even from a member of staff, I don't think. I'm sure it was something just posted on their website. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and if it's something anyone can post, you've got to wonder if someone involved with the film is the person that posted it as well. Yeah, the symbols was a, it was from G. And, Ritchie. And, yeah, exactly. And we've also covered on the podcast before um, the the infamous case of uh, Legend a few years ago, where the Guardian gave it a two star review, and it was carefully placed between the Ronnie and Reggie Cray uh, their heads on the poster to give the illusion that it was a four star review that was just obscured by by the people on the poster, when in fact it was only two in the first place. 
that's an inspired piece of um piece of design work i i was i don't I was almost impressed. It was so audacious. Um, but yeah, I mean, just to talk about that a, b- a bit more, with some of the more uh, the more underground or, or indie or obscure films that, that are shown in picture houses, do you have an accurate measure to tell you what brought audiences in? Do you, uh, you mentioned you carry out some research. Does it give you an indication of whether it's, it's the reviews or whether it's more recommendations from friends or, or if it's the awards or the marketing that are the, the primary lure for those kind of films? I, so as part of... Um... A lot of funding for a lot of um, independent films can get funding from the British uh, Film Institute. They do a, a thing called the Audience Development Fund. And as part of receiving that funding, the film distributor, so it won't be the cinemas, uh, Picture House or, or any other cinemas, it would be the film distributor would then actually have to do some sort of uh, on the spot research, maybe a few sample groups like a London cinema, a, a cinema in the north of England, a cinema in the southwest, um, where they, they actually talk to the audience after the movie's on and they, they do a, a survey, a, a checkbox survey, and then maybe a focus group with a small number of people. And they ask that very question, uh, you know, how did you find out about this film? What made you go and see it? And then was an option for poster trailer, uh, television interview, word of mouth um, reviews, and, uh, and so I, I think when it comes to to funding as well, people like to be you know sort of to, they're all trying to work out this this magic algorithm. You know what makes people go to the cinema, and personally, I, I do think it's you, it, it's always part of mm-hmm. unless it's from a trusted friend, because um, I, I we often hear word of mouth is sort of the number one reason. Uh, if you were doing like, if you spoke to a hundred people, I'm, I'm confident the majority would say because, you know, word of mouth. Um, but then you never know when someone says word of mouth, actually, maybe the other person just read a review. And now they like to be the know-it-all who's sort of like, well, I've read the, it's the Commode review in The Observer and he says it's a masterpiece. So now I'm I'm confident to tell people it's a masterpiece because I'm so in sync with that particular critics reviews mm-hmm. so so i guess you, you're never 100 percent sure <laughs> but um but uh but yeah i i do think i do think it can make a difference <laughs> mm-hmm. i wondered how the uh, the lack of reviews um affects things when you incorporate live events into your programming i know it's something that's increasingly happening at cinemas that they'll they'll be uh, opera or concerts or, or, or live theater obviously the nature of those events means they don't always benefit from having good reviews up front so do you do you have to compensate for that, or does it help the fact that they can be promoted through channels that normal films can't? It's it's um those are really interesting. They've definitely brought a whole new audience into the cinema. The I think a lot of people when they call it event cinema, I think that might be the marketing term, or, or I don't know, maybe yeah. people who program it call it that too. But um, the, the the when it started, I think there was a lot of belief of um oh, okay, we're bringing. We're screening the opera from New York, and actually that distributor is releasing a movie about an opera singer. So we'll try and sort of promote that to that audience. And and I don't think it was hugely successful, or, or it wasn't uh, in, in picture house cinemas. And I, I think people have sort of tried to stop crossing that audience over, because with that audience, it's a theatre audience who are coming in because it's maybe more convenient to go and see it in the cinema, or maybe the show has sold out, or maybe... A lot of them are are beamed in from abroad. So we do the Bolshoi Ballet from Moscow and we do the New York uh, Met Opera. And obviously it's cheaper to go to a cinema than buy a plane ticket, I think, I hope. And mm-hmm. with uh, so I, I think with those sort of customers, they're generally speaking, and not always the case, um, they're quite well versed in, in sort of what's going on in theatre at the moment. So by the time they come to the cinema, uh, they actually know they already want to see it. Um, you don't have to 
do a lot of convincing um, as part of my job. I, my, mostly my job with those titles is just actually telling people they're on and when tickets go on sale because um, they want to get their favorite seat, you know, they want to have the aisle seat in row G or something. So we, and we do mm-hmm. see customers if a season goes on sale, which is really remarkable, they'll book their ticket for every show in the season, but they'll always book the same seat. And if someone gets into mm-hmm. row G, First of all, they're not very happy, you know, and um, we have a I talk to our we have a, a customer service team who operates our phones. And I talk to them every week and, and I love hearing those stories. You know, they, they got all they got the right seat for every film apart from this one, this one screening. And they were most upset. And and I sort of love how <laughs> attached people get to their not just the film, but their experience in, in those cases. Mm. Um, I think. I mean, if only it was as easy as just putting them on sale, because we do have to do, you know, some marketing around them uh, still. And then that's the real challenge is is we've got, uh, you know, access to quite a lot of film fans who like seeing, you know, traditional movies in the cinema. And and I do think it's always a bit of a, a novelty to try to get those customers. And there is a crossover, of course, but it's probably a small section on the Venn diagram. And I think it's you, you sort of have to sort of look for the hook. So sometimes it might be, you know, this play has got five star reviews across the board. Here are all the reviews. See what you think. Sometimes it's because it's won a load of Tony Awards. Sometimes it's because it's a, maybe a film actor who the customers might be more familiar with, like Tom Hiddleston and Benedict Cumberbatch do quite a lot of shows at the National Theatre. Ray Fiennes seems to be there every single year. And, and those shows, again, do sell faster than shows with maybe a, a, an unknown cast in terms of their cinema um, sort of credits. So, so again, it, it's down to, to a lot of things, but reviews certainly help. And by the time those shows come to cinema, they're actually sort of towards the end of their lifespan. So all of the reviews are available for us, which they're not available for when, the, um, when, when they first run at the theatre, uh, which is, which is kind of nice. Uh, we do put them on sale at so the same time. So in some, case, in the, some cases, sorry. you're almost at an advantage. So uh, in, in some cases, you're almost at an advantage in that, in that perhaps, perhaps I, I've, I've got the, uh, the question I asked is, is fundamentally wrong in that actually what you've got is, is, is more reviews than you'd have for any other kind of uh, performance or screening. By the time the, the show happens, we definitely do. Um, but when we, we, we those customers and, and that, that I think that the theater booking cycle is different to cinemas where cinemas are often timed up a week before the film's actually screened um, with theater. Obviously, you, you, <laughs> you, you book people in for a long time and tickets go on sale well in advance. So cinemas like to get on sale with the live broadcast at the same time, the tickets to the, the, the main production go on sale. Um, so we've often got like a three or four month lead in time. Which is which is quite interesting because you get to sort of monitor ticket sales and see how it's going down, and and then you can see actually well this show which doesn't have Benedict Cumberbatch in does need a bit of help, but then a month before you screen it you might have a whole load of amazing reviews which which do give you another reason to talk about it. It it isn't a guarantee that it will help sell tickets. Hopefully it helps, but every every sort of big piece of press. Or a, or a sensational review run does give you another reason to engage with your audience and say, are you sure you don't want to see this new play because it's got all these great awards? <laughs> um, and it might pique mm-hmm. people's interests. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, and another thing I've always found really interesting is when um, cinema chains create their own journalism and produce magazines that run through current and forthcoming releases. Some even go as far as to, to quote unquote review films with star ratings of their own. Um, is that something that you ever do? To what extent do you does the the Picture House podcast or do any of the other kind of materials that you oversee? How close do they come to reviewing a film rather than just giving uh, listeners or readers an idea of the themes of that film? We do run, we've run a podcast, uh, which I host, um, and we, we do, do produce a magazine, which I'm involved in, which is a quarterly magazine, um, which runs, we've sort of produced two, we run a, a regular listings magazine, what's on and when, and then we run a quarterly magazine. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not as straightforward as reviewing the films in, in those magazines, because we are talking about them to let people know what's going on. I don't think in our position, we probably could run reviews in the magazine, or if we did, it might be a bit suspect. Um, but what we do like to do mm. is give readers, you know, a bit more insight into it, as you mentioned, the, the sort of themes. And and I think sometimes it's just sort of putting it on people's radars. So that magazine runs, it's a quarterly magazine, so we have to run really far in advance of the films uh, being out. And and often it's, it, you know, people won't have been able to see them yet unless they've done the festival circuit, in which case you might get that amazing insight from the writer who's seen it at the Cannes Film Festival or something. But even if they have seen it, you know, it's talking about what the film is, who's in it, because um, there are certain names um, who, who might you know, mean quite a lot to the audience um, and, and and sort of what to expect from the film. And we often do, we do a feature in the magazine called like, if you liked this, you'll like this. And it's the critics sort of sitting down or the writer, uh, you know, and they, they pick three movies, which if the audience has sort of seen or heard of and, and enjoyed, then they're confident in saying, actually, you, you'll probably enjoy this film as well. So so that's probably I get, that is sort of a that's a recommendation, I guess, um, rather than, than a review. Uh, but, yeah, we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to do that. Um, I have had weirdly distributors come to me as their sort of point of contact for the magazine saying, can we use your quote in the magazine for our movie and we've had to say no because it's just weird <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i was gonna say like without without naming too many names i've definitely seen cinema chains attempt to give their own the films that they're screening star ratings and i just think how is any reader supposed to trust that how would it ever be in a cinema's interest to give a film that it relies on for income a bad review it just doesn't make sense so it's 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 heartening to hear that the stuff that you guys are putting out is more about giving some context around a film and explaining the themes rather than trying to you know mark it out of five or tell people to see it or not to see it necessarily i think so i think it's a good um for us it's a good opportunity to introduce the audience to the idea of that film if, if it isn't something that's maybe got a lot of fanfare behind it because we it's a quarterly magazine and it gets sort of posted out to our members and it's available for free in the cinemas um it's it might be oh uh so and so's got a new movie out oh I, I didn't you know it's it's not out for a couple of months and it just might be because it's before the regular sort of marketing would kick in it's sort of like an advance warning you know there's a new uh, film from the director of that film that you might like uh, and that's coming out and mm -hmm. and hopefully it might you know if people like the sound of that write up or they like the people involved they might then look out for the trailer and the poster and you know sort of just it, it just puts it firmly on their on their uh, sort of radar we do find that a lot of films most the big films like star wars are dated years in advance but a lot of films aren't put on the calendar until that are picked up in festivals until about three or four months away from release so it's it, again it sort of syncs up nicely sometimes with their sort of life cycle from acquisition to distribution 
Um, with things we do like the podcast, again, we, we have to, we talk about it and we do with the podcast, we, we try and make it. So it's the people talking are, it's like their personal opinion and, and it's a conversation and it wouldn't be genuine if everybody all thought the same thing. So we have run podcast episodes where we've said, actually, I didn't really like this film, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but someone else on the podcast might do. And, and it's about balance because, you know, in, and I think with the podcast, it's about, emulating maybe what um you know the audience will experience when they go to the cinema not everybody who goes and sees a film they're looking forward to does enjoy it and and we you know we, i think on the podcast we talk about our personal experience now i was so excited for this film and unfortunately i didn't really like this bit but i did like that bit and that was really interesting and i think it's quite hard to distill a film down to like yes or no <laughs> um there are definitely cases where it's all no but for the most part it's like it's pretty good but th- i had an issue with this and those are the conversations we like to tease out on the podcast. Um, and I always think the ones where we disagree on films are the most interesting, just because we we sort of have a bit of a debate about it. And I love hearing audiences at the end of a screening sort of arguing about the film they've just watched. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it, hopefully we, we sort of try and do that. And then annoy, sometimes we're boring and we both like the film. Um, so that's that's, that's a shame. <laughs> it has to happen. It has to happen sometimes. Um, and of course, you've also got Spotlight, a section of the Picture House website that goes into more depth about some of the films you show. Presumably, the the, the kind of the thinking behind the podcast and behind the, the the magazines also it works along the same lines with Spotlight, and that you basically you you tread the balance between it being editorial rather than advertorial. Yeah, Spotlight's interesting. It's um, we used to run a Picture House blog way 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 back um and it it is spotlight is basically the blog it's been rebranded and we had a new uh, template for it and things but it's about uh, a chance to write about our you know like the team's experience uh lots of people work at picture cinemas from various backgrounds and sometimes they've got amazing insight on on something and they might want to write about it so it's a platform for people to sort of talk about that stuff it's also a platform to let us people know what's on in advance and that sort of stuff but the um the, the sort of the the features on there the written features are are the ones that are in our magazine um for the most part so that's sort of like a way to to make those available uh online um so if you go to i think it's called the recommend section that will be where you know various uh, film writers um have written in our magazine and it's their work online because uh, it did feel like it was a bit of a shame to to ha- put a lot of work into this printed magazine and uh and then then actually i don't know it, it ran out of stock or people not actually get to the cinema that month to pick one up there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Cool. Um, another theme I've noticed de developing around kind of the release of films and, and the coverage of films is the increase in PR issues around stars and directors. Uh, I mean, I guess the latest example is the, the removal a couple of days ago of James Gunn as director of Guardians of the Galaxy 3 based on some tweets that he put out a long time ago. Um, looking at it purely from a financial point of view for a second, do you often see firsthand the damage this sort of thing does to a box office take? I mean, in the example of, of James Gunn, it's going to be a long time before Guardians of the Galaxy 3 comes out, but I guess there are, there are examples where something that a star or a director of a film has done in the immediate run-up to it coming out might potentially dent its its box office take. Do you do you see that damage firsthand? I think sometimes when those it depends on the scale of the thing, <laughs> um, the PR thing. But sometimes that results in the film just being cancelled or um, or not or, or, or as they call it, you know, being shelved. And um, yeah, and or I guess in the case of in the case of Kevin Spacey recast as well. Yeah, which was a huge. I mean, in terms of a financial thing, um, that's huge. They they recast and reshot, uh, you know, all of the scenes that he was in, and they they still hit their crazy release date, which was maybe a, a month after it all happened, because uh, they wanted to be in the Oscar race. And I think they saw the the outlay of recasting the actor immediately and and doing all that work at great like sort of breakneck speed would pay off if they could get it into the Oscar race, as we mentioned earlier, which is is often a thing that does generate. Uh, extra box office around a movie and maybe they felt like if they released it over summer or something it just wouldn't have done the same business as that December release date which is quite a juicy one in terms of cinema release dates yeah yeah um we, yeah it's I, I was just curious to kind of to, to to know whether these things do you know apart from the filming shelved what, what, whether these things do have a kind of a real world impact or whether you find that people through the doors are relatively unaffected by this sort of thing I'm trying to think of the last time. I mean, so when the Weinstein thing broke, there were lots of actors who had worked with Weinstein over the years. And I remember we released a film called The Party, which had Kristen Scott Thomas in, and she was due to come and promote the film. I think she was playing, it was at the London Film Festival. And her people had said to all the journalists interviewing her, don't ask her about Weinstein. Um, so that didn't really damage anything in terms of the release because it wasn't anyone involved in our film, but it was, you know, someone tangential um and i think for that one they were sort of protecting the actors you know the actors probably don't want to be asked questions they haven't had a chance to uh a, you know form an opinion on on the spot so the, mm -hmm. the publicists have said you know don't do that um and and i'm sure we still chanced it and and things but I, I, that that's when we often hear about it we'll see the briefing from uh the talent rep or the pr agency you know um you know these questions of this person you know don't don't ask about this sort of thing um that we're sort of mm -hmm. just observers in, in in that respect though i think when it comes to i don't know who's the latest disgraced person <laughs> i'm trying to think who's had a film out i mean <laughs> I, I i i maybe disgrace is a strong word but i it'll be in I'm, I'm interested in in reading the ongoing uh reports around furious beast 2 and the casting of uh johnny depp i suppose oh, is, yeah. is a kind of, of current example i mean 
I, yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to, to talk about because, uh, you know, allegations can take many different forms and be, you know, on, a, a di- on very different ends of a scale of severity and, and whether they should affect a box office take or not. But that's the only kind of current example I could think of. Um, well, I guess, yeah, Weinstein is... Yeah, and I'm sure um, uh, I'm sure it's something that I'm sure it's something that rears its head fairly often every time there's a new Woody Allen film out. You know, there's kind of there's there's ongoing controversy of various levels every time uh, he, he announces a new film. Uh, no, you're right. So you've just refreshed my uh, my brain. Um, the the ones that I saw is because I you know we have social media channels for our cinemas and, and we do get questions from customers on them. When the Kevin Spacey thing broke, we did. Uh, start to get questions from customers on Twitter saying, you know, are you gonna are you gonna ban this film? Are you gonna avoid this film because it was before the recasting news? Um, and mm-hmm. and with a lot of those things, you have to sort of defer them to the film distributor because, you know, it's we're it's it's not always you know something we can necessarily answer. Um, but with that, they've resulted in them moving the film back and doing these reshoots. With Woody Allen lately, I think he had a film out recently, and I, I think the distributor responded by actually just releasing it in a very small number of cinemas. Um, so right. it didn't, it didn't, yeah, I don't know. It's a, that I, that was something it sort of before it got to my role in marketing, the distributor already decided they were going to sort of just put it into just a, a handful of UK cinemas and not really do a lot of promotion around it. Um, so it probably would have been something that might have affected our box office, but I think the distributor had, had made their decisions before, before it got to that. <laughs> Um, well, let me uh, let me end with something far broader. Um, Recognising that film journalism isn't really written for, for cinema's benefit, bearing that in mind, what changes in film writing would you make to improve it? What do you find across uh, film journalism uh, makes it makes it kind of uh, it isn't useful or isn't helpful or perhaps discourages people to, to try new films? Um. In in what sort of way? Like, sorry, have you got an example? Um, I mean, like when I when I've asked critics on previous episodes about things that they uh, they did or didn't like. I mean, some people had had issues with having to provide star ratings. Some people uh, had a real problem with reviews that were basically just a synopsis of the film and didn't really give you any indication of of what a director was trying to do or not. Um, I guess I wondered from from the point of view of, of someone who's who's encouraging people to come and see films. Are there things that you you notice in reviews, in, in perhaps in the timing of them or in in the wording of them, uh, that that isn't you don't think is helpful, or you think there's something that you that you like in film criticism that you'd like to see more of? I think I think for, from it both. It's like I, I I'm a film nerd outside of work, uh, so I, I sort of lap up a lot of mm-hmm. reviews. Um, so I'm I'm sort of interested in reading a lot of stuff. But the from a sort of a, a work perspective. Anything that encourages people to sort of talk about a film is is probably good from a marketing point of view as well. You know, if someone's got a, you know, like a, a theory about the subtext of something or, if you know, there's a hidden cameo or, or, or something and it might generate press because people are talking about this thing they've spotted that maybe not everybody is aware of. Um, that, that has sort of like a, a positive ripple. I think it, it makes the film, even if it's just for 15 minutes, makes it a bit of a talking point. Um, but in terms of, I guess, like trends in criticism put people off i think like sometimes there's just a i don't think this is a new thing either something that i find a bit frustrating is when um in a print publication you know the big the film that probably needs the most help has got the smallest review 
and and, and that's that's mm -hmm. a ta age old thing because of course from a publication's point of view they want to talk about the new Tom Cruise film and and have a big picture of him on there but the uh, but but you're sort of like because a lot of times you're like well I don't know like the maybe maybe the poster was late coming out or the trailer maybe wasn't as as good as you might have hoped or or something you're like well it's always Friday Friday we've got the big news day and we'll have some really great reviews and critics. But sometimes if they've only got enough words to just do a very brief summary of the plot and then say, you know, four stars, five stars, I don't know how necessarily useful that is. It feels like that's like a token review. And and I guess it does come down to the star rating in those cases. Um, but sometimes you want something yeah. a bit more juicier. You want the column inches. You might want a big picture or something uh, to sort of help. And I guess what might, what might be... I guess what might be even more frustrating is that often the writer of that tiny, tiny review of the smaller film is is extremely enthusiastic about it or thinks it's thinks it's really fantastic. But there's only so much enthusiasm they can convey in, you know, 80 words. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think those people who can sort of sell the film in, in a limit, it's, I guess it's like tweeting to a point. <laughs> um, but, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, if you can sell the film in, in a very limited sort of space, um, you know, and then get people, it's, it's the challenge is not, or uh, like sometimes you you can definitely do that but it's just getting people to actually find the review in the magazine because uh, i often like excitedly pick up the culture section and flick through and and sometimes you have to you know it's on the back of one of the pages in the corner that you just sort of might gloss over um which is a shame so that's not really a new trend but that's that's definitely something that i've over the years has come up time and time again you know someone with a really fantastic film which for whatever reason just hasn't quite got the column inches that would maybe have made a difference uh to it mm, incredible well, come on, journalists, and and, and increasingly, you know, people uh, people have got all the space in the world to write write a long form review online. Whether they've got the time and inclination remains to be seen. But you would hope that that would at least free people from the uh, the constraints of only being able to write fifty words in the press. I think so. I think um, I guess you'd have to have real dedication to it. But actually, saying could you do a cut down eighty eighty word review for the print, but you could go you know have a four hundred word review on the website you'd have to commission them twice uh, I, I guess but it would mm -hmm. you know that 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 would be maybe a way to do it and I think there was a point when people started to do a lot of things online like oh you know you could you can write forever <laughs> uh, we'll do a 2000 word mm -hmm. review and, and so that's that's probably also counterproductive too but but yeah I, I don't know I think if you if you've got the space online to, to champion those films maybe in a different way to how they're laid out in the magazine um, that might move and but it depends on what the um you know, as the publication, what you you're you're keen to support and what the editorial sort of direction is. Um, so even online, you know, that that small film that you might love still might not be the hero image on the website because you've got an exclusive with Tom Cruise and that has to go up there. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, I, yeah, I guess it probably affects every type of uh, type of criticism. <laughs> um, I think lately yeah, the yeah. thing that's been a help is definitely social media just in general. Um, those, um, you know, some people have got such a great reputation uh, for for you know being quite a trusted critic sometimes for just thinking of like our audiences they might follow certain tweeters like they might do with um, with film critics and uh, and actually I just think that little flurry you get little social media flurry you get on day of release can be really great for cinemas because cinemas can sort of retweet it they can like it they can say you know this is coming to our cinema on Tuesday check it out um, and then sometimes if the critic is very passionate about it they might even you know, retweet that, you know, oh, this is playing at my local cinema. Uh, and that's always nice to see. It's sort of like you've removed the barriers between the film critic and, and the place where the films are shown. Uh, and it just feels mm. a bit more and it really speeds up the process. Absolutely. That could all happen yeah. in, in seconds. <laughs> yeah. 
Entirely. Okay, great. Well, um, that's uh, there's some wise words for critics and suggestions for the future. Um, and that brings us to the, to the end of the episode. So thanks very much for talking to us. Thank you very much for having me. It was, uh, it was really nice to talk. <laughs> there we go. That's episode 19 of Reads Like a Four with my guest, Sam Clements. My thanks to Sam for being this week's guest and for giving us a peek into the world of uh, the cinema chain. Um, this is actually the penultimate episode of the current series of Reads Like a Four. We're going to take a break shortly to uh, look for some brand new guests, uh, exciting guests, and uh, think about some new angles that we can approach v- reviews and cultural criticism from. If you've been listening and enjoying the podcast, why not support us by buying a Reads Like a Four mug? That's right, we've moved into uh, limited edition merch. If you head to uh, HTTPS colon double slash tinyurl.com slash reads like a mug you'll be able to find our critically acclaimed mug which is available only until august the 15th after which we will never uh, release that mug design again uh, so if you'd like to uh, put a few pence into this podcast coffers and uh, ensure a second series um, then uh, please do it's uh, tinyurl.com slash reads like a mug or you can find that link on any of our social medias you can follow us on twitter and instagram at reads like a four get in touch with us reads like a four at gmail.com and i believe that brings us neatly to the end of this episode Thanks once more for listening, and we'll be back next week with the last in the current series of Reads Like a Four. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.